Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached. When I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom, I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 397, Hunting Hend Up Gobblers, with Cameron and Andy. And I am your co-host... And the guy who survived New Orleans. And I'm your co-host, and the guy who was treated to some awesome stories yesterday. I saw a picture of you with, well, one of our guests on the show. Yeah, Mr. Larry Prophet. I was able to, uh, I was passing through his area because my last brother, last sibling that was not married, got married this past week. Congrats, and, Ryan. Yeah, yeah, so Ryan is hitched. He's off the market, ladies. And so coming back from, they did kind of a destination wedding in the mountains of North Carolina. Coming back from there, I noticed I was going to be going through Mr. Larry's hometown. So I sent him a text and said, man, if you got any time, I sure would love to stop in and talk turkey with you for an hour. And he said, okay. So we met at his drugstore and he brought a box full of goodies. I got to play Dwayne Bland's personal calls, see the... Miss Jezebel, if you've read Larry's book, the call he references in there, and, and the bonk bone. We talked about a little bit on that fall turkey hunt episode with him. So mm-hmm. I got to see some, some legendary calls in my eyes and hear Mr. Larry tell some pretty good turkey hunting stories, too, and just sit down and talk turkey hunting with him. It was it was pretty, pretty fun. I love, love talking to folks who've done it for a long time, I guess, especially Mr. Larry, who knew you know, Dwayne Bland, Wingbone Crier, all these different kind of legendary figures in turkey hunting from past. It was it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that was a treat. You know, I've, I've talked to him just for a little bit. You know, I haven't gotten a chance to, to really have, you know, an hour of one-on-one time with him like you had. And I seriously doubt that he said, that he walked in and said, you know what, you've got an hour, go. So I'm sure you spent more than an hour with him because... You know, once you get one of us turkey hunters talking, it it's on. Oh yeah, yeah. So. Had had my wife and baby not been there, 
in the car waiting, uh, I probably would have been there for like four hours. <laughs> when Josie decided it was time for us to go, Audrey said, hey, it's time for us to go. <laughs> and you said, okay. Yeah, no no argument here. I understand. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. but it, it was, it was really awesome. It, I just, I had a blast. It, you know, you get to meet a lot of these folks at conventions and stuff like that, but they're kind of in convention mode of, you know, selling and talking to all kind of folks you don't have much time so it was it was fun yeah. to just sit down just the two of us he had his tennessee orange on i know you loved that yeah i mentioned in the text that that uh the text chain where you sent me his picture that i needed to get him a better looking hat <laughs> well i thought it looked just fine to me it's pretty hideous yeah <laughs> Oh, me. I mean, well, that, that's one of those colors that just makes my skin crawl. But we'll move on because that's not what this podcast is about. Yeah, so. well, I'm glad you lived to tell the tale of New Orleans. Yeah, so we went, one of my nieces turned 21 in February, and so we had a little family 21st birthday celebration for her in New Orleans, and it seems like I've survived. So kidney transplant or excuse me. So the liver transplant will be next week. So, you know, I'm I'm going to try to upgrade on liver and <laughs> no, it was it, it all went off without, you know, any issue. Every I think there were four groups of us traveling down there and back. Everybody made oh, wow. it safely. Nobody had any awesome. issues while we were there. So it was you know, it was a good trip. Good so, deal. Good deal. Have have you heard any poll reports from anybody? I've heard I have I have heard zero poll reports from anyone. Of course, I haven't really talked to anyone. I've been busy with work, yeah. and then you know we've. I think I've been home one weekend since yeah Alabama's yeah, that's turkey how... season ended. Two two Man. weekends since Alabama's turkey season ended. So June and July are just just busy months, like for everybody. A yeah. lot of family stuff usually. Yeah, a lot of catch up, and we got family stuff this weekend as well. It's a big birthday, Father's Day extravaganza for the Galeanos. So nice. Yeah, we've got three June birthdays that we celebrate, and Father's Day all celebrate all those this Sunday. So that'll be fun. Get a little family time in. So that's excellent. Well, good deal. I, I I haven't been in the woods at all, so I haven't seen any polls, but I I also have not heard. I haven't heard of anybody seeing any, which is concerning. I've I've had some friends and family say they've seen hens, which is not a good sign. But you know, hopefully, hopefully they'll start popping out here soon. Yeah, I've gotten tagged on a couple of posts on Instagram from people who, and now this was this was early. I haven't gotten anything lately, but a couple of people who were able to film some poults traveling around, and in fact, when we were hunting in the Northeast this last trip, Chip found a hen with some poults <laughs> and Wire so hunting. we yeah yeah well we were scouting that day and he stumbled across a hen with some poults and you know it's it's just really interesting to me and I, I don't know why so much because it it absolutely makes sense that all the hens don't get bred at one time and that some hens are ready to breed before others and that a gobbler will breed pretty much whenever he gets the opportunity to, you know, say from typical male <laughs> January through <laughs> July. Yeah. And but it's still it's just cool to me that some hens will have poults while other hens are still hanging out with the gobbler and still breeding. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like I've heard more stories of that kind of thing going on here recently you know I, I had that story i shared that one of our listeners told me about shooting a gobbler that was trailing a hen that had a dozen poults you know yeah. I, I had a video from one state somebody's hunting up a hen with poults on opening day which was interesting you know yeah <laughs> so, there's just they got a big big window there i guess for breeding hatching and all that and maybe I, I would assume in higher turkey population areas maybe it is even more prolonged because there's a lot of hens to breed exactly which i'm yeah. sure the the gobblers aren't complaining about but 
Yeah, it takes a little while for them. I'm sure if you surveyed the gobblers in those areas, they'd be pretty satisfied <laughs> with that fact. Survey says <laughs> these turkeys are very satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you shoot a gobbler and he's got a smile on his face, you know. <laughs> he went, that's a he high, went out well. Yeah. High population area there. So. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of hinned up turkey, I guess today we're going to conclude our series on hunting hinned up gobblers yeah. and we thought it'd be interesting to kind of i guess you and me we never get to really go with what we're just us deals so we're going to kind of reflect on what we learned from our awesome lineup of guests we had for this topic and then kind of share what we do to hunt the hen up turkeys you know so I, I think that'll be interesting yeah yeah i'm looking forward to learning from you yeah <laughs> well so. I mean, you well, laugh, but you know, you do pretty well in those circumstances. Well, not really. I mean, my I'm kind of with everybody else. My number one is if if there's another option, leave. <laughs> right. Find a different turkey. Yeah. So and that's that's always been my approach as well. You know, I this year for me was a little different because of where I'm hunting. You have to sign out for an area, so it's yeah. A much bigger ordeal to leave an area and go hunt mm-hmm. another area. It's not just as easy as, oh, I'll just walk over the next ridge and then the next ridge and then the next ridge and the next thing you know, you're eight miles from the truck and, you know, it's eight o'clock in the morning. So I've had to this year just really, this past season, just really kind of bear down and, and when I sign out for an area and focus on staying in that area and trying to get in there with those toms and and you know actually have a hunt now i didn't have success doing it and (laughs) i've got my theories as to why who knows if that's right or not but still yeah i'm i'm with you that's that's tactic number one for me yeah if you have plentiful options yeah (laughs) 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 all right thanks for listening this week folks there you go Here's your tip of the week. Yeah. Give up. Go home. Well, and it's, it's, <laughs> the reason really is twofold. Number one, it's difficult. You know, it's mm-hmm. just difficult to pull a bird away from the real deal. And then number two, why don't we give that bird a chance to breed? Yeah. You know, that even one more day. I wanted to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Even one more day can make a difference, you know, and, and I, I like what Andy Cantrell said, you know, if, if, you're hunting an area, you know, maybe it's private ground where you're the only one hunting that area and you can leave that bird and just leave him alone. Do it. Yeah. Leave him alone. But if you're hunting in a hunting club where there's a lot of good turkey hunters and that's my situation exactly. There's a lot of good turkey hunters on this club and it's and it was it's been the same way for the past, I don't know, 4 years for me. There's been some really good turkey hunters on the property that I properties that I've been hunting. And so, you know, if you're hunting in those areas where you've got competition from really good turkey hunters, then, you know, bear down, suck it up and try to kill that bird. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a good point. And we've kind of started thinking that way a lot because of the research we've been seeing and from what I hear from Mike Chamberlain, you know, on our family farms, you know, if we kind of have told ourselves before season lately, like, Hey, if, you know, opening day, if you just luck into one walking by or you make a hen mad and she strolls by and, you know, a dozen hens with one gobbler come in, like, we probably ought, ought to not shoot him. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's a so reason that there's a dozen hens with him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, if you have, it's just different. And I mean, I guess overall, maybe we should treat every turkey, you know, the same, but it's different when it's your own place and you're managing the flock type deal. It's just, that's when it's easy to make that call. You know, now if I'm out of state opening day on a state, I need to check off and you know, my decision may be different. (laughs) Right. Uh, you know, but it is just what it is. But I, I heard Mike Chamberlain on a different podcast. Somebody asked him a question that I've kind of wanted to ask him. And that was, if you can, you know, if two turkeys come in and one's strutting and one's not, he was like, yeah, I'm shooting the looker all day, every day. He said, if, if I will do anything in my power not to shoot the turkey that is obviously the dominant turkey. Like if, if one is making it known that, I, hey, I'm the big guy around here, he, he said he will shoot the other one. Interesting. And I was like, you know, 
I think I may kind of fall in that philosophy because I don't care if his spurs. Right. I mean, like, it's cool if he's got long spurs or whatever. Like, yeah, that's neat. But, like, it's not a deer. Like, I, the experience is it, you know. Two-year-old, four-year-old, eight-year-old, it doesn't matter. Like, it's a long beard coming in goblin. I'm not going to be like, oh, man, he only had three-quarter-inch spurs on him. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's all the experience. So, I think I may start kind of subscribing to that theory. And, and heck, the biggest turkey I've ever killed was the looker. <laughs> As far yeah. as spurs go, uh, he he had inch and you know over inch and a half. I'm sitting there looking at him, just absolute daggers. Hate to see what the strutter look like, but it that makes sense to me. I mean, if you have you've done the work and you have a shot opportunity, you got two two gobblers with hens all in front of you, or whatever. One is obviously your breeding dominant tom. The other one's just there, you know, which happens a lot. And you have a clear shot at both of them. Why not shoot the one that has less impact on your turkey flock? You know, I mean, yeah. To me, it makes I don't know. When he said that, I was like, you know, that's a good thought. I need to probably be more conscious about that on like a, because I've always waited on that strutter, you know. <laughs> and now I'm like, man, I've been been doing that backwards. Like I can kill one and have less of an impact of of hurt the population. So yeah, that's a win win, you know. But I, I am with you on the. If it's my own farm and he's got 20 hens with him opening day, he's going to get left alone. Yeah. And I'm going to put up posted signs around the field that he likes and put up cameras to keep him alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do whatever I can to keep that guy on the land breeding. Yeah. But So let's say you don't have the opportunity to go hunt another bird. Yeah. we got to kill him. And let's say you're out of state. So, you know, you feel a little bit of that self-imposed pressure to get the deal done Mm -hmm. then what are you doing so i'm just i'm trying to think back on past hunts that i have successfully killed a turkey that was with a lot of hens Mm -hmm. and i feel like everyone goes to the you know agitate that boss hen get her mad and she'll drag everybody in like i literally can only think of that happening twice i mean like i i have had maybe maybe more than twice i'm thinking a few more just popped in but very low odds i mean honestly like i I have i've called in a lot of hens who were agitated but i haven't had much luck of agitating a hen that also had the gobbler and they all come in you know yeah i've called in several lone hens that like i was worried were gonna flog me even though they knew i was a human at one point you know like they were so mad but i just haven't had much success with that strategy and i i still will try it every now and then because it can work you know sometimes but if you listen to most of the guests i felt like the consensus was to start soft mm-hmm. and i used to not do that i used to like oh he's got hens yeah start just going right. nuts yeah and now you know you do that enough times and realize this only works one out of a thousand times or whatever then maybe this is the best strategy so i I think they have, uh, our guests are correct. I feel like that's what I've been more so doing recently is getting very soft and then when and if, but usually when you just soft calling over there, one of them's going to engage you in conversation and you got to be able to kind of tell like, okay, you know, the flock may be talking, but you should be able to kind of tell, like I called and then one just answered me, a hen, most likely just called back at me. She was talking at me me and then you engage her is kind of my thought it's, it's just like the gobbler when you know he gobbled at you and that's a great thing and you kind of now you're in conversation i feel like that can be done with hens but by starting soft you don't just like i don't know nobody likes the person at the party that just comes in that's a big blowhard you know <laughs> and hey, nobody likes me yeah i don't think that's you <laughs> but you know what I mean? Just comes in thinking they're the, the big shot. You know, that's kind of how I feel like the hens are when you, you come in just cackling and going berserk. They're like, eh, let's let's go the other way. That that Karen over there can stay yeah. there. Like, yeah, we don't want to mess with her. But you come in soft and everything. I, I feel like maybe at first you strike curiosity in them as to like, well, why is, why is the one of why is she not with us? 
or who is that? And, and then you can escalate it maybe to where they get a mad or you just keep them curious. But to me, the, I think the number one call for calling hens is the clock. I mean, it's a true locator call for hens. Yeah. I mean, that's without question. The sound of I'm here. Where are you? Yeah. I'm over here. Yep. Okay, well, I'm over here. Well, I'm over here. And you're, I mean, that's what that is. So if a hen clucks at me, I want to come back right back at her with two clucks. Like, yeah, I'm right here. Okay, I'm here. You know, and that, I mean, there's, I don't know how many times, like, a hen comes in, she clucks. She clucks five yards closer. She clucks five yards closer. You know, you can tell she's just walking and clucking, getting closer. Just like, hey, I'm coming. Here I come. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the key calls you know instead of yelping and cutting and all that stuff uh which i will do you know it's it's all a big feel too i mean in the woods day of in in the moment you kind of just got to go with what your gut tells you but Hmm. that cluck is to me the i mean that is the call that hens use to find each other in my mind so if she's looking if you've interested her enough to come look for you by clucking back and forth with her you're leading her in at that point (laughs) Yeah, in my mind. So I, I think the the cluck is a, a big time call for for hen talk, and you know, obviously fall turkey hunters, which we don't talk about enough. The the key keys are really important for that, but it can be used in the spring. I haven't regionally. I will say, for whatever reason, in Florida, turkeys kiki a lot when I've been there. The three times I've gone. The kiki's been a good call in Florida, but outside of that, I haven't had a ton of success kiki at hens. Yeah, I can tell you I've heard a hen in the spring, during spring turkey season in the great state of Alabama, I have heard one hen kiki in all the years that I've been turkey hunting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're not, they're not doing it much because they don't have poults, you know, like they're grown. Yeah. But... Florida, for whatever reason, they were a lot of turkeys kiki down there. It seemed to work well. But overall, like calling hen up gobblers, obviously you got to get the hens to come to you. I mean, that's the bottom line. Everybody knows that. I I can think of one turkey I fell in behind the group, and I was able to keep close enough contact with them to where he like i know i could see it happen he finally like came back 20 yards just to look for me and i killed him but like had that was one that that doesn't happen very often either where you get him to leave the flock to look for you mm-hmm. but some you know some something seems to work every now and then you know in some capacity but that turkey i had trailed them forever keeping very close using terrain proximity to the flock and just stayed right i tried to get where they had already been and following them and just calling along and i mean i saw him when it flipped of like you could tell he came back to strut and show me where they were and then i killed him um because i've seen that happen with turkeys i've like just watched in a field where one hen kind of drifts off and the gobbler will kind of walk her way throw up a big strut show herself and then she'll come back join them and then they mosey off you know and so i know that's what i i did to kill that turkey but to me the 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 best way to kill a hen up turkey and it's the same as my mentor did the first time i ever went turkey on my first ever turkey flock flew down he had a bunch of hens went quiet obviously brooding and he looked at me and said all right so do you want to walk around for till 9 30 or you want to just take a nap till 9 30 and i was like well let's walk around i'm pretty juiced up you know i, I don't want to sit here I'm, I'm like 12 years old so i want to walk <laughs> and we just went and screwed around for a couple hours and came back in there same exact spot and struck him right back up and he was ready so i i think your that is your best shot at killing a hen up turkey is stay in there with him till midday when hopefully those hens leave him and you know they may not but he will most likely have bred everything that's with him by 10 10 30 and start gobbling again even if he's got the girls in, in my experience well you don't hunt alabama all that often so <laughs> well they don't gobble anyway so like, <laughs> i'm talking about normal turkeys that, on a norm, that normally gobble <laughs> those turkeys those gobblers down there will have not had a hen for seven days never seen one and they'll still just drum they yeah. don't gobble 
Yeah. Well, and, and what you said about leaving and coming back to them, you know, that that's a good strategy. Another reason why that works is we have no clue how many times in a spring breeding season that a breeding flock gets busted up yeah by coyotes by humans by whatever it happens to be and a lot of times because that gobbler's trailing the flock he'll end up going a different direction than the rest of the flock and so there are a lot of times where mid-morning late morning midday he'll end up away from those hens not because he wants to be but just because something forced him to be so yeah that's a good point yeah and i mean that's with turkeys fall spring i don't care what time of year it is wherever they get busted up that's where they're coming back to meet back up at some point i mean that's that's how they work if it's a true break where they fly in all different directions yeah they're coming back to the break point that's why fall hunters deploy that so heavily but yeah i mean it is amazing, you know, when they go quiet and you aren't hearing them anymore, you feel like they've just left. They're 15 ridges over. But I would say almost with certainty, most of the time, if I leave and come back at 10 o'clock to the, that area and he gobbles, he's like right where they were the last time I heard them or right around there. I mean, usually they don't move nearly as far as you think. If he's got hens and they're breeding and all that, they're not running all over the country. <laughs> Yeah, I would say They're, Merriams and Rios are probably the exception uh, to that. Yeah, level. yeah. But yeah, yes, well, I yeah. agree with Merriams, you. Merriams, they're like breeding and running at the same time somehow. Yeah. I don't, you know, but and flying as far as Easterns, yeah, they're, <laughs> Merriams are just totally in movement the entire time. But with Easterns, you know, like I think back to Georgia last year, I hunted a turkey went totally quiet left i didn't come back to 11 and struck him and he it was like he didn't take two steps the entire time i was gone you know i mean it, and i never did kill him but felt good anyway to come back and do that but and who knows maybe it's a different turkey too. it could be what it well, is but. it could very well be but i i will say this you know easterns eastern gobblers have areas that they like to go and strut. Yeah. We call them strut zones. The reason they go there is because it's a meeting place. Yeah. And they can go there, and if they don't have hens, they can go there, and they know that at some point in time, a hen's going to come through there because she's alone, and she feels the need to breed. And Mm -hmm. she knows that that is a strut zone. That's where she's heard a Tom gobble, you know, 14 days out of 20 at some point during the day. He's gobbled there. So if she doesn't hear a gobble, she may get within 100, 150 yards of that strut zone if she's going to be listening for drumming. Mm-hmm. And if she doesn't hear any drumming, she may just cruise within 40 or 50 yards of that area and just look and then go on about wherever she's going to go, which is probably the next strut zone or you know someplace to get something to eat or drink and then hit the next strut zone. So... Yeah, our eastern turkeys don't really travel as a general rule. They're going to get in that strut zone, and they may not yeah. gobble if they've got a bunch of hens with them, but they're going to be in, in that general area, and if they're not in that one, they're in the next one that may be one ridge or, or two or three ridges over. So totally, yeah. totally the, accurate. The easterns, I mean, you're especially like your heavily wooded areas you know i've seen some easterns you know in these that are big ag states you know they might travel a good bit but heavily wooded you know ridgy areas i mean they they will he may not move 200 yards from where he flies down and be there till two o'clock in the afternoon i mean if he if he's having success gobbling up hens why move yeah right (laughs) i watched it you know last year i watched it i saw it was one breeding gobbler, two subordinate gobblers, and a jake were in this tiny opening. I mean, it's maybe an acre. And I watched him from 7 a.m. till I killed him at 10.30 when a hen finally didn't show up. But from 7 a.m. till 10.30, he would gobble. One hen would come running up out of the woods, come up there. The, the strutter would breed her. She would jump up, shake off, go back into the woods. He'd start gobbling again. You know, all that would take maybe 30 minutes of silence. And he'd go to gobbling. Here comes another one. I saw him do it four different times. 
And then the fifth time he started gobbling, another hen didn't show up, and he went for the one in the bush that had been calling to him for the past three hours, and that cost him. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that when I saw that, I was like, this is why people, especially the old timers, will say if he ever gobbles at you, he'll end up showing up at some point. And I, I literally, like, it was like the light bulb of seeing it because I'm like, how often, I wonder, does that happen where you've been calling to him? He's gobbled. He knows where you are, but he's got other hens coming. He's breeding them. He's having, you know, he's having success. And all of a sudden, one doesn't come. And he's like, well, that one was calling to me pretty heavily earlier. Like, she's she was ready. I'm going to go over there and find her. And then that's why he shows up four hours after you got up and left, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's why some of the old timers will say, if he ever answers you, you know, he's going to show up at some point. And yeah. I mean, that was what happened that day. But, you know, as far as calling hand up turkeys, I'd say the cluck is a very important call to be able to use and, and go back and forth with hens. And just like our guest said, I think one of the best things you can do is just blend into the flock and just kind of be that, hen off to the side Mm -hmm. and you know if if one gets agitated towards you get agitated back kind of you know i like just like i think all three of them said it you know i like to do what they do and so mimic them and and those kind of things but i have some other uh less conventional strategies but i'm gonna let you share what you like to do with hen up turkeys first so i can't stress this enough and especially in the southeast And you guys listening know, and you, Cameron, know that I talk about Alabama so much because, well, I hunt in Alabama more than I hunt in any any other state. And I'm not going to say that there's not states that are just as hard. This is not about getting into a, my state's the toughest state, and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say this way. Everyone else is wrong. Alabama is the toughest. (laughs) I'm going to be very diplomatic. (laughs) I think you'll be hard-pressed to find a lot of people who will say that Alabama's not in the top three of the toughest states in the country to kill turkeys. Reason being is what Cameron and I have said time and time and time again, and that is that they won't gobble. Yeah. And they absolutely won't gobble when they have hens with them. I don't know what it is. You can go to other parts of the country, and there will be a turkey with eight hens, ten hens, twenty hens, and he will not gobble his brains out, but he will gobble. Yeah, he wants yeah, he'll one let you more. Keep tabs on him. Yeah, he wants one more. He wants one more. I, I'll take another one. Yoo-hoo, over here yeah. in Alabama, they are they, when they gobble, they know that they are calling in predators. They're making their location known, and that it's not going to be long before a human being, or a coyote, or a bobcat, or a hawk, an owl. Now in Alabama, an eagle is going to come check them out. Yeah, and so. They're just not very talkative. So I've got to say this. I can hear a turkey gobble from a pretty good distance. Can I hear as well as I could when I was 20-something? No. But I still i am blessed to be able to hear them from a pretty good distance. I have a hard time hearing or recognizing the sound of a hen that's more than 100 yards away. Hearing hend up gobblers hearing a flock of turkeys that's probably the better way to say it is key if you cannot hear them and they're in a wooded area meaning you don't have eyeballs on them you're just trying to find a needle in a haystack and so hearing is extremely important and what i realized this year is that i've got to be more diligent about wearing my walker game ear i am probably very and i've been saying this that i was going to buy a set and i just haven't done it yet but some tetra mm-hmm. and i'm going to tell you that you guys who are in your mid 40s your 50s because i've been there i'm there now to lose 20 percent of your hearing what we're losing is not 20 percent across the spectrum we're losing probably 50 percent in on one end of that spectrum whether it's a high pitch sound or a low pitch sound we're probably losing 50 percent of that and not as much on the other end average it all out we probably have lost 20 percent of our hearing so what i'm saying is i can't hear hens very well and if you're going to try to call in a hen <laughs> gobbler in the state of alabama you're not calling that gobbler mm-hmm. you're calling those hens every and it's not just Alabama. Every single one of the guests that we've had on the show, ever, 
ever who has ever talked about the topic of calling hen up gobblers will tell you and has said you're calling hens. It's because that's what you're doing. And if yeah. you can't hear those hens that you're calling to, you can't engage in a conversation. And that's what we're trying to do. So hearing huge, huge, huge. And I hope I think the odds are stacked against me there. This is part of age. So. Yes. <laughs> Especially well, when you shoot guns. And, there you go. And <laughs> you guys that do a lot of wing life. shooting and, and yeah. waterfowl hunting, man, you, you better do something. Protect those ears. You young guy, yeah. I'm telling you, you, you think it's not going to happen to you. You just wait. Don't, don't let it happen. It's yeah, precious. I, it really is. I've gotten very serious about that the past, I'd say, five years, ever since the, the turkey bug really took over, and I, I just thought about not being able to hear them, and yeah. I got really good earplugs. Like, I took the time to spend, I think, $75 on some really nice earplugs, and I've used them for four duck seasons now, you know, dove hunting and everything. I've never lost them, because when you spend a little more money on something, you take better care of it than the foam ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... They're awesome. I'll have to look up the the brand. I, I can share that one week on here. I, I can't remember the name of them, but they're they're freaking awesome. You can hear conversations great, but you can not hear the gun blast, and they don't have any batteries or anything. But if um, you spend seventy five to two hundred dollars on good hearing protection, you're getting some of the best of the best that's out there, and it is a heck of a lot cheaper than what today are four and five thousand dollar hearing aids for when you you know and by the time somebody like you hits the age of 60 or 70 if you need hearing aids they're going to be way more than four or five thousand dollars yeah so yeah. you know and not just hunting you know concerts and all i mean it's my music in your car riding yeah. with the windows down in your vehicle is terrible for your hearing huh. i did not know that one the reverberation of the wind coming inside the the cab of yeah, that man, truck or that sense. vehicle yeah. is is awful, awful. Huh. So things like yeah. that, you know, we just, we need to be aware of that. And, you know, again, if I could go back 30, 40 years, I would do things differently. But here we are. All right. So hearing, and when we're talking about hearing, I mentioned that I have to be close to hear a hen. Well, whether I can hear the hen or not, I've got to be close to that flock. Distance is everything. Distance is going to make or break your hunt on hind up gobblers, which means you're going to have to be uncomfortably aggressive. You're going to have to crawl on your hands and knees. You're probably going to have to belly crawl to get as close as you need to be without being seen using the terrains huge along that line. So if I can get close to that flock, number one, I'm able to hear them better. But number two, I'm in the game. And at that point in time, I have never had any luck being aggressive, calling a flock in. Zero. So, in fact, I've had very little luck being aggressive and trying to call in a lone hen. Yeah. I've had much more luck just having a conversation. A lone hen, hens are very social. Turkeys are just in general, but hens especially are. They don't want to be alone. They're strength in numbers, and they know that. So... Just carrying on that conversation, a lot of times you can get even that solo hen to show up, and who knows if she's got a boyfriend or not. You don't know until you call her in. But just soft calling, being social, being polite. The old saying works for us as human beings, and I'll guarantee you it works for probably nine out of ten different animal species, and that is you're going to kill more flies with honey than vinegar. So it's true. So yeah. I'm going to, Cameron, we just talked about it. I, Cameron hit the nail on the head. If you if you don't know where that flock is, clucking is a great locator call for finding a flock of turkeys or even a single hen. Yeah, that's the, I'm over here, where are you? Mm-hmm. That is that is what a cluck says. I'm yep. confident. If, if I know anything of turkey language, I'm confident that that's what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, those, those soft yelps, purrs, the little feeding calls, you know, the, the contented stuff, you know, I'm over here, everything's good, you know, scratching in the leaves, maybe a wing flap, because turkeys are almost throughout the entire day stretching, 
stretching mm-hmm. their wings and you know must be pretty tough business being a turkey you got to stay nimble and and <laughs> you don't want up, your ready to fly at any up. point in time yeah. you know yeah. you don't want your muscles tight when the when the coyote shows right <laughs> you know i would say another thing that is i i think we as hunters get very focused in on this you know if we get in on a, a flock of turkeys that's on the roost and we're able to get in pretty tight to them we call sitting on the ground and we're doing tree calls you can't tell me that a gobbler or any hen that's 50 to 100 yards away from you when you call doesn't know that you're we're going to say you're a turkey doesn't know that that turkey's on the ground yeah they can pinpoint a sound from three quarters of a mile away to the tree you're on the tree that you're on (laughs) and you're going to tell me that they are 50 60 feet up in an oak tree and don't know that you are calling from the ground from below them yeah Uh that's a good point (laughs) i'm not buying that now that's not to say that those soft calls don't work but i don't i just i'm not buying into a whole lot of the fly down yeah you know but that's that's me you guys hunt the way you hunt and keep doing if it's working for you keep doing it so yeah i i honestly i don't think i did a fly down cackle a single time this year and i i didn't even i used to carry a wing with me i don't i never had it where i felt like man this was the difference right here you know the the big fly down production i just put on really killed him I can honestly say I don't know that that's ever happened for me. Yeah. Well, I can't say that it's ever really happened for me either. I think I did a fly down one time this year, and that's because I had about four or five hens around me. And Mm -hmm. when they flew down, you know, I'm just making noise at that point. Yeah. You know, at at that stage, I sound just like another turkey. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. But look, we fool a turkey into thinking that we're another turkey, you know, whether we're just over the hill from them or right down the ridge from them or in the same bottom with them, whatever. We fool a turkey into thinking we're another turkey. So am I saying that we'll never fool one by doing a fly down cackle? We'll never fool while we're on the ground that we'll never fool one by doing tree yelps while we're on the ground? No. Yeah. But. It's not very realistic when that bird can pinpoint that sound to the pine straw needle that you're sitting on. Yeah. That's me. I don't, do you hear many real hens do it? Like, In I would Alabama, say 99, no. 99% of the hens I've seen or heard fly down don't cackle. No. In Alabama or in the southeast, I have it's very, very rare that I hear that. I hear it in the fall. Yeah. When I'm deer I mean, I hear them like kind of do cackle you know, more like a fighting cackle or something on the ground sometimes. But like, as far as midair cackling out the tree, you know, going berserk, crashing through limbs, I don't ever hear it, man. Like I, I usually will hear the, you know, just the yeah. wings yeah. and then they hit the ground. Then they might call a little more aggressive, but I don't know. That was when a couple of years ago, I was like, why am I doing a fly down cackle when no hen I've ever heard on this farm has ever <laughs> flown down cackle? <laughs> yeah. Everybody, all the turkeys in that area are like, oh, there's the cackler again. Yeah. <laughs> She's back. She's back. A little <laughs> noisy cackler. Yeah. Letting every predator know where she is. Yeah, yeah. I would never do such a thing. Yeah. But, you know, hey, but I've heard people say that's like their favorite call. So maybe it must work, obviously, in some areas or for sure. some people. So yeah. I just... I've noticed, I guess, for my region, it, it is not in my repertoire. I mean, I, I can do it. I just don't because I haven't seen any significant gain. Right. I mean, I will, I guess if I don't hear a turkey gobble and I'm, before I move out of the area, I might do a, just a huge fly down production to see if one will gobble. A lot but of like, times it will spark a, a shot gobble. Yeah, and that's what I'm going for. It's not yeah. like I'm trying to call him in with it. It's like, hey, I'm about to leave this spot, so I might, you know, who cares at this point? Might as well just go berserk and see if one will gobble and show me he's here. But I've only had that maybe once or twice actually pull a gobble even. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I, <laughs> I think that's a good point. Of they can pinpoint the tree, so I bet they can figure out you're not at the same elevation they are. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. So another thing is I want to be where that flock 
wants to be. If they're feeding in a hardwood bottom and they're roosted on the side of a ridge, I want to be in the hardwood bottom because if they beat me there, it's the time of the season when they're hinned up. That tells me it's early season. I'm not getting in that hardwood bottom, even remotely close to them once they're on the ground. So I either want to be in that bottom or I want to be between them and that bottom. But Mm -hmm. you run that risk at that point of them coming down at an angle, just out of range, past you, they get in the bottom, and now you can't move. Mm -hmm. But there again, I guess it's the same effect if you get in the bottom. But at that point in time, they're either going up or down the bottom. So you got to, in my mind, you got a 50% chance, less than that, let's say a 30% chance, because they can always, once they go down in that bottom, they can feed for five minutes or maybe just... You know, they feed for an hour or maybe they just congregate there and then they go up and over the next ridge and into the next bottom. But, yeah, you know, you just, you just don't ever know. But to me, I kind of want to be in that bottom, but I want to be as close to them as I can be. Oh, yeah. um, if they're not feeding in the bottom and they're feeding on the ridges, then, yeah, I want to be up above that turkey when he's gobbling on the side of that ridge, knowing that they're probably going to fly down into the bottom or at least fly down at the same elevation where as the tree that they're roosted on and then come up to the ridge. So get where they want to be or get between them and where they want to be. And that's true for any time of season, but I feel like when you're hunting a whole flock of turkeys, that's very important. Yeah, even more important. I have started as well. I think it was... I think it was Andy Cantrell, it may have, may have been DJ, who mentioned that he wants to sound like more than one turkey. Mm-hmm. And... I started doing that a couple of years ago. Why would you not? If you're hunting a flock of turkeys, why would you not sound like three or four different turkeys Yeah. in that area? You know, it just makes sense. If one is good and you're trying to get a flock to come to one turkey, then three or four is better if you're trying to get that flock to come to you. Just my thoughts. So Yeah, I mean, absolutely. A two-sided pot and peg call. There are times, and I learned this from Jeff Buds, there are times when I'll have two diaphragm calls in my mouth to sound like two different turkeys. Now, we know that there's some diaphragm calls that you can just have one in your mouth. You can put your tongue on one side of the call and it'll sound one way. You can put your tongue on the other side of the call and run it and it will sound a different way. So you can sound like two different birds with one diaphragm. But I can run two diaphragm calls. Well, excuse me. I can run one diaphragm call at a time but have two in my (laughs) mouth. So, you know, you run a two-sided pot and peg call, you have one or two diaphragms in your call, uh, in your mouth, and you have a trumpet. You've just sounded like five different turkeys, at least five different turkeys. Yeah. You know, to me, that's better. Yeah. I don't ever remember feeling like, I don't think you could sound like too many turkeys. I mean, I've never, who knows, but I wouldn't say I've ever felt like, oh, dang, if I had only sounded like one hen, they would have come. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Andy Cantrell said it. It's huge. If you're not camoed to the hilt, you're going to have a hard time killing a Tom because 95 times out of 100, he's going to be the last bird that comes into range. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to try to fool two hen eyeballs or 40 hen eyeballs before that Tom ever gets in range. And if you're not camoed to the hilt with good camo, not yep. that shiny crap <laughs> that if you walk around the NWTF convention floor, 60% of the people walking around are wearing and 60% of the booths are selling. That stuff is a neon sign and it says I, something unnatural is right here. I'm I'm so sold on that. You're the one that pointed that out to me and I'm so sold on it. Those shiny materials are absolute garbage for turkey hunting. And that's what most people hunt in. And I hope they keep hunting in them because they'll scare yep. more turkeys that I can kill. So, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But yep. for our June podcast listeners who are faithful, don't wear that crap. Check your camo. Take it dull, outside in the sunshine. colors. <laughs> Take it outside in the sunshine and walk. Hang it on a limb, a tree limb, or hang it on a some some way to hang it up off the ground or heck even lay it on the ground walk around it at five feet 10 feet 20 feet and look for the glare coming off of that clothing if you see shininess or a glare i'm not going to tell you to throw it in the trash because it probably would work okay from a tree stand i don't know 
but don't go work for turkeys. Do not wear it in the turkey woods. You're gonna or ducks. Yeah. The, oh yeah. The, the birds. I mean, look at their feathers. They're made to pick up shiny. Their eyeballs are. Yes. So if you have shiny clothes on, they're going to pick you out like nobody's business. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Along those same lines as being camoed, and it, I mean, it fits right into it, your setup is key. Setup's key in every single hunt. I mean, it really either makes or breaks. It puts meat in the freezer, or it results in a really good story that doesn't have a loud boom at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, where he walks by at 70. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm looking for a tree that has cover behind me and beside me, a little bit in front, a little bit lower, but still something to kind of break my outline. And I haven't done this yet, but I have, over the last four or five years, I'm like, I keep telling myself that I need to do this. I can't remember the bow hunter that I had on the show years and years and years ago, but there was somebody that I, that I first had on the show that talked about bow hunting without a blind. And he talked about how important camouflage is and breaking up your outline. And he mentioned in that interview about how sometimes he'll take a piece of leafy camouflage cloth and just drape it over him that it helps to break up the outline of his legs you know it just makes you look less like a person yeah i mean something unnatural in the woods you know you look more like a bush or a pile of leaves or something like that if you got more fluid outline so, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't done that yet. I, I'm going to do it at some point in time. You know, the thing is, I don't necessarily want to haul around. It's not like cloth is all that heavy, but I don't necessarily want to haul around. Something else. Yeah, something else in my vest. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, it's probably something I'll end up keeping in my truck. And on those days when I know that the turkeys are not gobbling and I'm going to end up sitting for a little while, That'll be something I take with me mm-hmm. just to kind of break up my outline a little bit. So that setup is huge, very huge. And two other things I'm going to say that I think are important when we're hunting a flock of turkeys. If you get busted by a hen, I can't tell you guys how many times, and I'm sure if you think about it, you probably have had it happen too. But I can't tell you how many times that I've been busted, but that hen was not scared to death. And she walked off putting a little bit and I've been able to cluck just do some purrs just some real contented soft calls and I've been able to calm her back down and even get her to come back in Mm -hmm. and that's important so if you do end up one of them ends up seeing your outline and just you know hey there's something that's not right up here and looks a little nervous just give some soft very very soft calls and some feeding wines and purrs and that kind of thing and just try to calm her back down and you'll be surprised I think how many times that will actually work and you know I'm not saying that that necessarily she'll come back in but she's not going to run off putting and turkeys to a to a very minor point turkeys are curious now, they're not so curious like a deer that I think, you know, we've all seen it. A deer's going to stand there and stomp and move its head all around to try to get you to move, trying to juke or jive you. Like, oh, fooled you. Saw you move. I'm getting out of here. A turkey at that point in time is leaving, at least going to walk away putting. But I've had situations, and think about Jake's. You know, how many times have you had Jake's come in where one of them seeing you is kind of putting and kind of walking around looking at you, keeping an eye on you, and the others will come in a little bit closer to to see what uh, that yeah. one is seeing. So, you know, to, all the a, time, yeah. to a point, they're curious, much less curious than deer. But all you need is a few more seconds a lot of times for that Tom to come in another four or five feet three yards, five yards to be able to get a shot. So, you know, those soft calls a lot of times can calm that hen down. And then what you said I think is really important. And and you mentioned, hey, let's leave and go to breakfast and come back later. And that works. But a lot of times if you just stay in the neighborhood with them, that opportunity will present itself. And that happened with me and Evan Murphy when I hunted in Mississippi and killed my bird there. 
We just hung in there with those birds, stayed in the area with them. We used the terrain to move around and try to get in front of them. We ended up getting right beside them, walked up on the edge of this creek bank. We could hear them up there gobbling occasionally in this little oak flat. We walked up the creek bank, maybe 10, 15 feet in elevation, standing there just watching because we knew that we were within eyesight of a turkey, but we just couldn't see them. All of a sudden, here comes this red head poking up over the greenery, and that was it. I checked Mississippi off the list. And funny thing is, I shot, and here comes another red head walking around looking like, what was that sound? There's that curiosity thing. And so we walked out of the woods with two turkeys at it. But just staying in the neighborhood, using the terrain to get close and stay close, you <laughs> Uh, we've said it a bunch of times on the show. You're not going to kill turkeys if you're not where turkeys are. The last time I saw a turkey at a restaurant was when you killed one and <laughs> brought it to, was it Waffle House or Denny's? That's the last time that I've was, seen a turkey at a restaurant. Chip. Chip killed that one. We took him to Waffle House. Yeah. So <laughs> that one's already dead. That one's not doing yeah. me any good. Well, he is if hey, I get a chance hey, to uh, eat dinner. You gave us a live hunt from one of your uh, northeast states last year. They were strutting at the restaurant. Well, that is true. <laughs> so, that is, I tell you, you're right. That is not so. That's not, that not one the last time I saw one at a restaurant. restaurant. <laughs> I did see one at a restaurant last year, or not this past year, but the year before. You're right. I, I'm sorry. I take it back. I so, had you back. been eating there at nine o'clock, you would have killed it. <laughs> Yeah, it, I probably would have gotten kicked out of the restaurant had I shot from, from the Pretty low-odds situation, chair. though. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. It's low-odds. Yes. So, anyway, those are, are you know kind of my tips, my strategies for hunting pinned-up gobblers. And, you know, again, number one, if you can do it, go find another bird. But yeah. we Better don't always everything. have that opportunity. We're hunting a small piece of property, and it's the only— our only piece of property we have to hunt or you know we're in a hunting club and there's 15 people down there hunting and our opportunities yeah. to move around are limited you know so we have to do the best with what we have yep so hopefully the three guests we've had and mine and cameron's tips will help you guys in a what we all know is a very very tough hunting situation yeah yeah i sure hope so and i mean we had some all-star guests for sure. Yeah. So that had to help. And I liked this. I liked having the uh, series of several guests on the same topic. I mean, you know, hey, if you're struggling with that situation, you got four episodes now to, to lean on to have a few ideas maybe come your way. Yeah. And, you know, what I do in Alabama may or may not work for the hunter in Massachusetts or yeah. Kansas or California, but... What DJ does might work, or what Cameron does might work. And so I, I like this. I'm looking forward to, we've had a couple of suggestions. I think I've sent both of those to you. One of them was to do late season tactics. Yep. And I like that a lot. And yep. then woodsmanship. I really like that topic idea. Oh, man. I'm, There's I'm a ton that goes in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Probably get a lot of different answers out of that one. I think that we all are going to end up with so many takeaways from really those two topics, you know, because personally, I kind of think our approach to hunting hind up gobblers is pretty well the same because it's something we all struggle with. But late season and woodsmanship and, you know, woodsmanship. I agree with you. There's going to be a lot of good stuff shared in those. So you guys don't give up on the Turkey Hunter podcast in the dog days of summer because we have some good stuff coming up. And we've got some hunts coming up too, don't we? Yeah, we've got plenty of those. And I mean, honestly, usually our best stuff is in the off season because we're not hunting. So (laughs) (laughs) it is. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We usually... We usually have better guests because they're more likely to come on. And you and I are more invested into what we're talking about because we're not thinking about the turkey we roosted last night, you know. So it it definitely is a different time. But, but yeah, good topic. Look forward to these future ones, hunts. And I'll give the favor of the week. If you've seen any poults or heard of people seeing poults, if you have good or bad news, let us know. I'm interested in what's going on around the country on the poult report. So, I'm actually not on social media right now. I'm taking the summer off. Just need to get rid of that negativity in life. Yeah. So, 
I'm taking off three months there, but you can email me at cameron.wedding.gmail.com or contact Andy um, through his Facebook or Instagram or email him at, was it Andy at IamTurkeyHunting.com? Yes. So if you have any poult reports, send us an email to one of those or both and let us know kind of what you're seeing because I, I just like kind of hearing what's going on around the country as far as poults and hopefully it's another big year. We'll see. If it could replicate last year, that sure would be nice. Yeah, we could use another banner year, even if it means that I struggle in Alabama again. I'll take it. Yeah, well, eventually, if we get tons of turkeys, it'll it'll be a good thing. Yes, it will. Yep. So, and I'm willing to make deal. that sacrifice for a couple of two or three seasons. I can handle that. Yeah. So, well, good deal, man. We'll wrap it up. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. And happy Father's Day. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.